chamber of suspicion. Yeah. So I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, that's what it is, for sure. Yeah, everyone's got a gun pointed at the other ones, Mexican standoff. But capped. Mm, except I've got cabin fever from living in the house too long. And buttholes. Cats have buttholes. Ladies and future boys, welcome to the School for Wayward Nerds. The only podcast sanctioned by the Guild. I'm glad my voice cracked in the title of this fucking show. It's great. My name is Toby DePola and I am in Australia. Are you? Yep. Which means my streaming, my TV, and frankly my access to DVDs at this point is shit. Ain't that the truth. I don't, for some fucking reason we have third world media coverage. It's very odd. Yeah. Yep. I bring this I'm up. I'm really slow internet. Mm. Yeah, I bring this up because the day before I started these notes, I was looking around for information on another season of Venture Bros. Um, when I was doing that, I found on Adult Swim, they were doing a 24-7 marathon of Adult of Venture Bros. Which I think they do with a lot of their main shows, but I've never really clicked it. Because most of the time I click on anything on that side, it doesn't work. Yeah. I don't know if it's the site's fault. I have a theory that it depends on what commercial is before it. Look, and that I, being region code. I think we maybe need a VPN. Maybe. But at, at any rate, this one worked. Which was very exciting. And I spent like a little bit over a day with the TV series. So while it was fresh and delightful in my brain, I pretended to smoke a candy cigarette, much like a venture boy might do, Um, and I decided it was time to hit another season for the podcast. I am joined by my producer, Kaya. I am here. And this is The School for Wayward Nerds vs. Season 2 of Venture Bros. Obviously, if you missed us cover the first season and the creation of the show, uh, maybe now is the time to go back and check that out. Yeah. Uh, but for now, we are beginning with the, a fact that should be common knowledge in our circle. Adult Swim is not a normal television network. Definitely not. <laughs> Again, I think we did a back like episode like, about Adult Swim. I think we have. We did. We did like a sample pack of episodes. I talked about King Starking and you got mad that I wasted airtime on it. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember when you were watching that show and I was just like, No. The animation's great. I don't know if they were designing anything while they were animating it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a bit odd over there. Normally, by about the ninth episode of something, you'll know if it's getting another season. Pretty but, much. But Adult Swim ran all of season one of Venture Bros. And then re-ran it. Yep, so normally by about the ninth episode of something, you'll know whether or not it's going to get another season or continue in some form or another. Mm-hmm. But Adult Swim ran all of season one, then ran it again, and then about five months passed. Um, it wasn't an out of the gate hit on the se- on the channel. It ran, you know, sort of twice as long as the fifteen minute shows at the time, and compared to, you know, Adult Swim at the time, like Space Ghost, Appetite Hunger Force, Harvey Birdman, it seemed a little too like. It's it's normal. not it's not Adult Swim's usual like. Stuff. It's certainly not as like shit ass bonkers as a lot of the yeah. other stuff. Um so during this time, Doc Hammer, the uh the voice of Quizboy, Henchboy Twenty One, Doctor Girlfriend, and co creator of the show, figured it was just a cool thing he had done. You know, like the season was over, the show was over. He just he continued his life, away. you know. Yeah, he did a one man show apparently, he went back to doing paintings. But Jackson Public the other creator, voice of Pete White, Monarch, Tenchman 24, Hank Venture. It, like, the main brainchild we discussed on the first episode. He was the one who drew them as dinguses, parodying Hardy Boys knocking off an original title or yeah. something or other. But he didn't entirely put the concept of the show aside. Yeah. Like, he went on to other projects, sure, but he never, he never gave up on it. Like, he was always making notes and ideas if they got to continue the show, what would happen. It's his doodle. Yeah. Um, the show also had time to build a following this way too. Like people were catching these episodes. Because at first it doesn't seem like much. Yeah. At first glance. But once you pay attention and you find your way in, you know, and then like every season seems to get better than the last season too. I think that's because you get more payoff. Mm. Like the longer you stick with the show, the more it will pay off. Yeah. There's, there's a no lot better of the way to say it. Yeah. Like... And not just that, like, its world building can push its own envelope as it goes and develops and ideas can get added in and stuff. Mm. So, 
you know, it, it gave people a chance to sort of come around to it. Yeah. Because you, you would almost change your channel at first glance. You'd be like, oh, it's like some fucking Johnny Johnny Quest kind of show, which is ironically it's, it's the point. Very, like, grown-up Scooby-Doo. Mm. Yeah, without catching lines and dialogue and tropes and stuff, at first glance it would look like something that belongs on Boomerang and you'd just be like, oh, whatever. Yeah. So, eventually, after this time gap... Another season gets greenlit, um, and as you could have, you know, as you could have guessed by us covering it, obviously it happened. So things begin to move forward. Uh, public had all these ideas, and like we often talk about on the podcast, on the podcast, his passion could be felt. Yeah, like they they begin to diversify the boys a bit more than they had. Originally, they were a joke. You get the the chance to flesh out the characters. Yeah. Um. Like, because the, the joke was that the show's named after the boys, but it's mostly about what happened to Rusty Venture after peaking as a 10-year-old. Like, if Dora the Explorer grew up after a big wild childhood without any schooling or formal education has to get a shitty job in a supermarket and gets, you know, depressed. Yeah. Which is sort of the bit. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, and Hank and Dean Venture would be out to the side having an idiot adventure, but it was never much of anything. Like, the trouble is with that, is that the show really only has four main characters. So wasting two of them is kind of a bad move. Yeah. So Hank starts getting a little crazier and wild and, you know, action-packed, whereas Dean becomes more reserved and gets more sensitive as time goes on. Like, they started to do it in season one, but now they're like, all right, they're individuals. Let's acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, The show also leaned harder into the weird geek references and stuff. Like, part of the show's charm is between all the actual jokes and cliche bashing is, are the deep the deep cut references to things, you know? Um, this was way before Marvel movies made nerd culture mainstream, too. Yeah. So, it, when you caught them, you felt special for the, seeing them in the first place, and it kind of, it was great for that. Just keep in mind, this is... Yeah, it's, it's like eight years before Iron Man. Like, it's... Oh, yeah. It's out of place to have all these references to shit. But it's also, like, they deep cut themselves, but they deep cut... Pop culture in general. Yeah. But in, like, a way that you it's might like, not get at the first watch. And it's sort like, of charming, too. Like, this is very much a show that you need to watch it a couple of times. Because you're always missing details. as it extends. Because, mm. like, you go... You watch it through and you're like, oh, yeah... You know, it's a really enjoyable show. But then you'll watch it through again and you're like, hang on a second, there's a joke in season two that pays off in season six. And I'm not even talking about, like, in-universe stuff, but, like, outside references. Yeah. Like, they hang shit on David Koresh at one point. The the dude who... Oh, God, now I'm having a mental block. David Koresh was the, um... Uh, what's the... What was the cult that didn't drink Kool-Aid but drank the other things so they could catch the comet that was flying by? Mm. One of those kind of things. Like, they, and they reference a lot of weird stuff, not just the basics. Yeah. Like, we mentioned in the first episode, we were excited that they did a Doctor Strange parody. Because no one would have ever bothered to do that at the time. Yeah. Um. So, now it's time for us to pick up where we left off. Alright, Kai, do you remember how the season one Venture Bros ended? Any of the big changes? Um, I'm pretty sure the boys die. Mm-hmm. Um. You've got Monarch going to prison. Oh, yeah, he does go to prison. Mm-hmm. And you've got Jonas Jr. Oh, becoming, becomes a thing. Yeah, he becomes, I guess, canon in the he, final he moments slipped. of the series. Yeah. I almost forgot about that. Mm. Mm. Um, yep, yeah, so nothing can be the same at this point for season two. Yeah. Which, which well, I, got two I respect of your main characters did. have died. Yeah. <laughs> One of your main characters is in prison. Yeah. Like, and we've added a main character, but in a weird way. And he's not... He's not a main character. Oh, they'd never treat him as such. No. One good thing I like about Jonas Venture Jr. is he's a super scientist and doesn't give a shit about adventure or about villainy or art, you know, any of that stuff. He's, like, just an actual successful scientific man on, over to the side mm. and gets you know predominantly ignored by most of the hijinks 
So season two and our subject to this episode begins in the aftermath of these events. Um, set to Everybody's Free by Rosella. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonas Jr. is working with White and Quizboy to build him an arm and he's doing all of his things. Dr. Orpheus is grieving because he feels responsible for the boy's death. Well, he kind of was. Um, what else? You got the Monarch's Lair being destroyed as, you know, while he's in jail. It was ordered. Yeah, well, that was some of his demands because he even references... You can't yell at us for carrying out orders. Yeah, because in the final moments they had to um, destroy that, kill the boys. And he references, like, killing one of Captain Sunshine's Wonder Boy sidekicks. Mm. Which I, I love as a side note that Monarch was a successful supervillain to the weird daytime Batman guy. Yeah. Who doesn't exist yet. I like that the random name references become canon later on as the show goes, like he said. Yeah. Like, they set everything up so weird. Um, yep, yeah, and you've got Brock, who's trying to track down jo- uh, the Doc who is left to find himself after the boy's death. Now, Which he tries a bunch of different ways. <laughs> you see him meditating and stuff and doing, like, monk shit, and then he's like listening to EDM and doing ecstasy like immediately after. Yeah. With a beard. Um so two key points to this opening, right? Is the licensed song. Apparently the plan was immediately rejected in storyboards. Too expensive. Well yeah, it's a fucking licensed song and this is Adult Swim. Yeah. So Doc Hammer, who does have songwriting chops, like that's one of his little side projects that he does. Um, he rap- He had to quickly spend 12 hours making a song to fit it, and then, you know, they had to re-edit the sequence to match, like, the beats of the song. Yeah. Then they, deci- <laughs> they decided the real song was better, so it was put back in, um, and then he had to re-edit it again to fit that song. <laughs> you would think he would have a save for that somewhere. Well, they, were- they rejected it immediately, so they never bothered to... Yeah. It, it was never properly edited. It was, it was edited in storyboards to match. And they're like, well, you know, do that one. I was like, fuck. This is mean. I know. And the second point of this opening is the title credits. Because it's still the Venture Bros. But as you recall, it is Rusty and Jonas Jr. Venture Bros. Yeah. Because they, well, they're the only Venture Bros. I like that they play their death as a thing. It is. I know, I but they, know ref- they reference about. them being clones and shit all through season one. They don't give a shit. Yeah. And then they... I think it's just to pull one over on guys who aren't paying attention to the show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and because that's, I like that's that they, where they get their kicks. I know. I love that they played it straight, though. That they, like, did a full title sequence and everything. Um, and then immediately the episode starts and Jonas Jr. is sent away to Spider-Scale Island to work on inventions. And then we, like, just don't talk to him for, like, multiple episodes. Yeah. He's gone. Um, so, the Venture Bros, as a show, will usually go, like, really fucking hard with their season premieres, and uh, it's usually because... Um, usually the premiere is the finale for the last season. Yeah, it just seems to happen every time. I don't know if they set it up that way, or if it's just... Either they, like... That's how it happened. I, don't, I know at one point their, their count of what the season's episodes was was wrong, and they were like, ah, oh, shit. You know, or they, or they start to add important canon to, like, the Halloween specials and yeah. all that. But for some reason or another, usually the season premiere is, like, the big finale of what happened in the last season. Yeah, it's the end of the cliffhanger. Um, This one, though, it, obviously it's not that. But somehow it still has a lot of ground to cover anyway. It's called Powerless in the Face of Death. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, you mostly follow Dr. Orpheus. Now, his plot here begins with him trying to resurrect the boys. Yeah. Um, I like I like that they're building up to the clone thing and how magic and science intertwine, but not really. Yeah. Because while he's ch- searching the land of souls for them, they're just not there. No. Well, and, he can't find them. No, because... But no one there is overly helpful. No, but the, the souls aren't there. So it's it's weird because then it's like revealed later on that their mental state is like saved on a computer and somehow that constitutes as a soul. Yeah. 
their mix of like, oh, magic's just blind science. Don't worry about it. It's so, it's a cool concept, but they don't, they never lean into it. They just fucking ignore it. Which is what they do regularly, though. Like, yeah, but eventually they touch on a lot of things. That one stays in its place. I know. It's just a cool move. I like it. Um, yeah, and after looking, um, after looking, he finds weird inside out versions of the boys at his door. Mm-hmm. Remember them? They're all like gummy bear looking. What does this, um, Brock says they're like, it's like touching a slimy testicle or something? I forget what he says. He, he says they're gross, is what he says. Basically, they're, and they, they don't look very nice either. No. I think a slimy testicle is a pretty accurate description of what they look like. Less hairy. It's the inside of a testicle. Awesome. Great, 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 great analogy there, baby. Um, so. He escapes these weird flesh zombies to find Doc and Brock. Yep. Now, Doc is having, in this one, he's having, like, a small and relatively completely ignored sub-story about getting teleported into fragments in different areas of the house. Look, he fucked up. I know, I know, but, like, it never gets resolved in the episode. It is really not... They, they, don't, they just didn't have time to bother with it, so they don't bother with it. Yeah. It's good. Instead of rushing, they're just like, ah, don't worry about it. I'm sure he figures it out by next episode. Then, then it's mostly taken care of. Yeah. Um, him and Brock explain to Orpheus that the boys are clones. And yeah. that they've died plenty of times. Well, because Orpheus is mad at them for not being upset with him. Yeah, because no one's grieving this death but him and his daughter Triana. Yeah. And then, of course, he had to make strawberry milkshakes for insides of testicles. Yeah, because they don't know a lot of what's going on. They just want milkshake. Um, Kai, do you like the montage of the boys dying? Yes. Obviously, I like Hank trying to parachute off the roof with an umbrella in a Batman costume. That's a good one. That is a good one. Um, I just like the fact that they, like, multiple times things have just barged into their bedrooms. <laughs> it's like a big robot and, like, a giant spider just, like, kicking their walls. Just eat them. Yeah. And they always, like... Their room must be, like, right above the lab or some shit. I don't know. Whether it's a, like normal thing or not they always die consecutively mm. like it's not one brother dies and it's fine they're always dying together yeah but it makes me wonder that like if they don't die together would it mean that like brock has to kill whichever one doesn't die maybe because they couldn't reset just one yeah, it's referenced in season know. one. It's like, how would you kill me, Brock? And he's like, I'd wait till you're asleep and snap your neck nice and quiet and easy. And he's like, you've thought about this. So maybe that's something he actually does have to do on occasion. We don't know. I don't know. I think they're both dumb enough that, you know. It probably doesn't take long for the other one to go to, you reckon? No, I think they, they just go out together. Yeah. Um, so the beds that they learn in, which we covered in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, track the boy's brain activity and record it, making mental backups to go with along with the test tube clone mutant thingies. Yeah. Um, it, it does give them, like, somewhat of an education, but... Um, this is all a decade, well, just shy of a decade before Rick and Morty and all their, like, alternate dimension replacement bullshit, by the way. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that. It's old. But it's still doing revolutionary things for animation that people make a big deal out of now. It's just, it was little at the time, so no one knew. Yeah. Um, so the B plot in this episode is the monarch and all of his, you know, his side of the show. Mm-hmm. So we have the monarch himself in prison, planning a big escape with some of the other wacky villains like King Gorilla and a racist man made out of TV static. He's pretty cool. He's a cool visual, and then they waste him by making him, like, a jerk racist. But he's a cool visual, and he also, like... Because, I mean, he talks a bit like Bumblebee from the Transformers Yeah, he's a little movies. vibrating. Because he sounds like TV... Well, like a bad yeah, TV Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, he uses different... Hmm. Well, the way that I thought of it, anyway, is that he uses different, like... Channels? White noise that he's picking up on hmm. to speak. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a cool design. It's like, how do you even know you're white? Your TV static is like, my skin was pure before that television repair accident. <laughs> like, for fuck's sake, dude. Maybe they made him unlikable so they didn't have to do the effect all the time. Possibly. Because I mean, they it's don't a good use, idea. 
like in these beginning episodes, they use a lot of um, phantom limbs, like limbs, mm. which is something that they don't do a lot. Yeah, they usually. So maybe they've just occasion. found like other places that they can use the. Um, yeah, um, it's budget. interesting you bring up phantom limb because he sabotages um, the escape plans. Yes, from the does. outside, um, and he starts to prove himself as a genuine threat here, not just. Like, in the trial of the Monarch, we see him, like, get involved in Monarch's case to try and get him in there. But now he's trying to keep him there, too. Mm-hmm. And he's making deals with all the other villains in there to, you know, to not help him bust out. Um, Like, his level of conspiracy is intense, and we definitely see that develop as the show goes. But it's fun to see it, like, early. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so King Gorilla does end up helping Monarch by pushing him through sewage, like in the Shawshank Redemption. Yep. Uh, Phantom is trying to keep Monarch out so he can be with Dr. Girlfriend. Um, and we've also got our henchmen. We see 21 and 24 out in their civilian clothes. 21 and 24 are probably, like, some of my favourite characters. They're, the, they're great. They're <laughs> um, just... They have all the goofy, like, human moments that, like white and quiz boy have but there's just so much more charm to them somehow yeah i think because they're like they toe the line of being in the villainy hijinks as well but still being idiots at the same time yeah but they're not like a lot of the other characters are idiots with idiots whereas these guys are like no we're idiots because it's following the rules we're not allowed to like overstep the monarch and he's really dumb so we have to like step they respect the chain of command more than they respect common sense yeah sometimes um i like that they're in henchman recovery you like this as as well when they meet like without costumer because they're mostly just waiting for monarch to come back i do like everyone else is there with like good reason yeah they're all trying to get (laughs) over henching like it's an addiction And, and he just comes in and he's like it's okay he'll be back he's gonna call you and everyone else is like, that's, that's not fair. Like, <laughs> I, what? I just, I just love when they're, like, at the snack table, like, during, like, the coffee break. They're like, fuck, I just wanted to get out. But they're, they're making no attempt to better themselves. They're just hanging out waiting. Yeah, I thought it was, like, a meet your fellow henchman. I don't even know if they know, I don't even know if they care what the point was. They're just there. I just find them there. But I do, like, they have more loyalty than most hench people. Because, like, later yeah, on in they're the, the episode, only two that stay. they explain that, like, all of the other monarch henchmen, like, went and joined Monstroso. But do you want to talk about like, that for a second? Again, Monstroso is just a character name that they save for later, like Captain Sunshine. It's weird that that guy has all of the monarch's incompetent henchmen. Yeah. Because he's, like, good at his job later. But see, that's that's what I'm questioning. He might have immediately sacked all of them, they suck. He could have, but is it, like, we know that 21 and 24 mess up purely because they're under the monarch? Yeah, I mean, were, look, were they, the they make hench- mistakes. Were the hench people terrible because of the monarch? Yeah, man, remember Speedy? Or I think it's a bit of terrible henchmen? I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think monarch hires good henchmen in the first place. I mean, we do see that in the end of, like, what is it, episode two, when they just hire a bunch of thugs, yeah. and they just, like, revolt against them. Yeah, um, so what do you think about the first episode? Um, it, I know it's a lot of setup, but that's not necessarily a bad thing either. Like, the first episode of Futurama is more setup than jokes, and it ends up being worth it. It's a lot of setup, but it's a lot of setup that doesn't pay off for some time. Yeah, um... Like, Doc Hammer and Jackson Public, according to their art book, which is heavy, if you listen, audience. Ow. Yep. <laughs> you can lower the levels on that, can't you? I don't know. Alright, we're going to find... like, off. The oh. listeners are going to find that out uh, ten seconds ago. Um, yeah, so they sort of feel familiar. I mean, similar to how we feel about it. That there's some little bits and moments and stuff in it that are good, but it is mostly for setups. sake. Mm-hmm. And they specifically say that the true return for them is the henchmen suiting up and singing their dumb little theme song as they do it. Yeah. Which is in Hate Floats, which is episode two of the season. Which I think is way better. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a 
fun it's, adventure. It's not that it's better. It's that it doesn't have to. It has a little bit more breathing room. Yeah. There's a little more nonsense to it. Yep. So, yeah, this one feels more at home in the adventure world, I think. Uh, what do you think of this one's opening? What's the opening? Um, the henchmen, they're doing their suit up scene. They get the phone call oh! from Monarch. What, what, it, what I'm referencing it, here? It totally makes sense that Twenty One was running a comic book business out of his mum's house. Yeah, he dresses like Kevin Smith, and they pick on him for it like incessantly as the show goes. They do, but he does. So he does. it it's kind big, of makes sense. It's a big fucking door. I do like that they're like. I've already they're living, said, they're living so at their mum's houses and shit. They're so in their like, shitty secondhand five hundred dollar car. Loyal. But at the same time, they're on the same wavelength because they are like singing a song that perfectly fits together as they're suiting up. They've obviously done it multiple times, you know. I, I do like that he's like, I don't want to talk to your mom, so meet me on the front. Like, that's such a thing. That, I'm not like, going to be able to do his voice because he sounds like Kermit the Frog, but he's like, I don't want to talk to your weird mom. <laughs> um, um, speaking of the mom, that's it. I don't want a tangent too hard here. Okay. But later on, we see Gary develop a crush on. Doctor Girlfriend. Yep. Which his mum's voiced by the same man who voices Doctor Girlfriend. Well, of men love their mothers, right? Yep. You never actually meet the mum any further than her going Gary Farren. Yeah. But I was like, that <laughs> sounds like the girl has a crush on. It explains a lot. It does. Um, this this is where you have you the know what I think mistake about- in the Venture Bros universe. Yeah, go on. Okay. Gary's suited up. He's running out to the shitty car. car. He has a glove on his right hand. Mm -hmm. He has a glove on his left hand. Yep. He has a glove between his teeth while he's shoving his hands down his pants. Yeah, it's supposed to be like the original storyboards are him holding a glove as he tucks in his suit. Yeah. But they colored his hand in like a suit. Yeah. So he's got three gloves. That fucked up. Yeah, I like how ashamed the creators are of this because... Every moment is either a callback or a payoff later in this show, and it's very deep cut, like we've been saying. So when there's a genuine mistake, they're like, ah, shit. And we trained them to look for that. That's when you've got to know that, like, you've created the monster. Yeah. Because you're like, guys, pay attention to all of the weird things that don't need paying attention to. Oh, no. Ah, damn it. Yep, so they've been rung by the monarch, and they have to quickly assemble henchman for his you know release um and they are dorks they're, they're, they're dumb people you know i don't know so, i think they go so, about it in a pretty good way this so, is how i go so about they it. go and find recruits in like the projects like all these big burly tough gunslinging gangsters they just go to the wrong part of town and put on a very convincing no not very convincing. it's very convincing i would have joined can i interest you in henching sir it's like, I don't know. I have no personal ties to family or friends. I don't like heroes, and I'm between the ages of 18 and 30. Yep. It's like, great. With his fucking monorail. Um, so while those two are reassembling the Monarch's Legion, the, the Venture Brothers turn 16 again. They do. Uh-huh. Uh, for his birthday, Dean is getting one of those speed suits that his dad loves. Um, they're no good. Nah, they're fucking weird. Uh, this... The mall they go to is also where Dr. Girlfriend is with her current boyfriend, Phantom Lim. Um, this episode starts to really, like, show that not only is he, like, a smart conspirating threat, but he's also a douche. A smug douche. Yes, very much so. Yeah, he likes fancy cheeses, and he needs specific cutleries, and... He's, and she Serrated knives are only for boys. I can't remember the quote, and I'm not going to be able to do her voice, because I don't sound as maddenly as this beautiful woman, but she's like... Phantom Limb, i got to be honest with you. I'm finding this so hard to care about. <laughs> it's such a, like, dry, mean thing to say, but he clearly doesn't pay attention anyway, so she doesn't care. The lady would like to see the <laughs> And this whole thing comes together as an episode because the monarch is stalking her in his giant flying cocoon, which is presumably sounding like a lot of jet engines. Yeah. It is pointed out that it is loud. Hmm. So, so hell breaks loose between the three parties when the monarch gets mutinied and taken hostage. Uh, Dr. Venture is also taken hostage with him. Uh, Phantom Limb and Brock have to team up to save Dr. Venture and Dr. Girlfriend. 
but she hasn't been taken because she is with the boys trying to save, well, pretty much everyone involved. Yeah, because... No one knows what's happening with any other group. Every, like, everything just kind of, like, breaks out. Yeah, but they're all kind of separate until they meet up. Yeah, like, the miscommunication in this episode is really, like, well-built. If that makes sense. Like, it's, well, it's, it's well-designed chaos. Like, Dr. Girlfriend is knocked out during what happens, so she doesn't know what's going on. The boys are just an oblivious and that, any time that uh, anything Yeah, happens. constantly. And they see the cocoon leave, and she's like, oh, well, he's kidnapped your dad and Phantom Limb. But no, he's been, like, kidnapped by his henchmen because he's that Brock, incompetent. Brock gets shot mm-hmm. and almost bleeds out. Dr. Venture has his eye punched out. Punch out and then is accidentally swept up by a henchman's costume. (laughs) Yeah, tangled up. And then the thugs decide to take over the, you know, hive because. We're gonna do it for a period then. (laughs) Because. Pause. Yeah, pause that one. I think it's a good example of the show in the way it. Does all the dumb references, packs way too much fucking story into its little segments, and it's all, you know, it's a well-built one. Yeah. And it's a good balance of, like, all the Venture Bros universe stuff with, like, stupid jokes. Oh, yeah. Like when they go into Henchman 21's closet to get weapons, and it's all fucking comic book toy memorabilia. That you're not allowed to take out of it. No, Henchman 24 swinging around a Lord of the Rings sword, but he's not allowed to take it out of the box. <laughs> It's great. He's going to mess up the box anyway. May as well be. But it's mint condition in box. It's going to be mint condition in sub condition box, man. Defeats the purpose. I think they knew that they weren't going to win, so. I don't, yeah, I don't think they care. They're going up against, like, Saints Row characters. Yeah. Alright, so the episode to follow where we were is, um, Assassinani 911. Yeah. And I say. For us, that's what the episode is, because, like in season one, the episode list is different everywhere you look. I'm going with the Go Team Venture Companion book. Yes. I feel like that was probably the more accurate version. Look, it's very it's hard, hard to say. in Australia to actually work it, it, out what goes and there. It's different on the DVD than it is on the book. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if it's the same on iTunes, but the IMDb matches the book. Okay. So there's majority rules there. Um... So, Assassinani packs a shitload into it, and it's mostly backstory for Brock, Molotov, Cocktease, and his history with the OSI, mm-hmm. which is like their G.I. Joes. Um, and it's all good foundation for things that happen later, while packing in some pretty amusing stuff too. Like, this is very true. Like, packing in stuff for later, like Hunter's desire to be a woman. Yeah. While keeping in amusing stuff like um, Hank reeking of milk. When he kisses Molotov, mm, and then when he, and then when he has that weird fucking hallucination scene, when he's her tits, yeah, that's yeah, a bit wacky. Um, I don't think we get into a lot of Brock's history in the show, which is weird considering the amount of mythology surrounding the Venture family. He's sort of a blind spot almost. But that's he's a secret agent, so it wouldn't make sense if that wasn't the case. Yeah, no, but they can still show us his secret agent stuff. Like, it's not a secret to the viewer. It's just weird that he doesn't get as in-depth as everyone else does. Mm. Maybe. Okay. Um, episode four? Yes. Is a weird one. It's called Escape to the House of Mummies Part 2. Okay. It is a part two. Because Doc Hammer said so when he wrote it. Okay. Look, the show is pretty self-aware that as an adventure cartoon, so they implied a great episode just happened and you, the viewer, has missed it. That would drive me insane because I don't regularly pay attention to episode titles, let's be honest. I feel like this would be the one where I did and I was like... That one trips you up. Part two? Yeah. Where's part one? There's the um the previously on the Venture Bros bit, bit mm-hmm. you know, at the start. And it's pretty great. It has some some dock lines in it that catch me off guard. Yeah. Like, you got all the, you know, Egyptian people. He's like, give me the hand of Osiris. And he's like, give me head. 
That sounds like something you would say. It's, it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily sound like something he would say. It's just off the bat meme. I know, but that's why it sounds like something you would say. Yeah, yeah it's like give me the hand of Osiris. Ah, give me your head. You didn't just say that. I absolutely did. What are you gonna do about it? I'm gonna kill your sons. He's like, ah, join the club. <laughs> we have t-shirts. He's so like nonchalant in this one. It's pretty great. And I think due to it being a wild adventure without any context, like it makes it feel actually like a classic adult swim show. Yeah. Which is weird because it never does. Um, you've got the B plot of Dean, Hank, and Brock time traveling around in this pyramid adventure that also has a time machine, and it's just chaos every time they cut to it. Like, there's no continuity whatsoever. It's like clear that they're just being weird. But I feel that's what the boys are. Yeah, and it, it's it's not even them in their element because this is like a level above their element. This is them in a bonus the, round. Like the whole show is very tropey, mm. but each partnership again is a different trope. Yeah, like it. It's the whole show is an onion. It's just layers upon layers upon layers. Yeah. I, I stole your pen. I'm sorry. You go. Yeah, so you've got them being very chaotic, a bit like a Aquatine Hunger Force kind of vibe. Yeah. But to add a little Lucy, Daughter of the Devil and Home Movies flair, like we it. also have John H. Benjamin as the master. Do you remember this character? Kind of. Kind of. He's a celestial god who lives in Triana Orpheus's closet. Oh, yeah. yeah and he's voiced by Archer, is yeah. what I mean. Um and I like his constant belittling and soul-crushing of Dr. Orpheus. Like, he's not... Alright, alright. He's mean. Okay, he, he's a mean person. Yes. He's a mean celestial god. But he does it in a very unique way. Yeah. Just the... Just the... Like, the, the cruel undertones in everything he says. He's, he's like a pickle. He, he just, you know, he leaves Salty. that sour taste in your mouth, but you mm. know, you enjoy it, but you're like, I shouldn't be enjoying this because it's not good. Yeah, he's got a way of belittling where he's not just outright, you are a dickhead. It's just... It's what it's what I want to be as a teacher. Yeah. You don't know that I'm insulting you, but I'm insulting you. Yeah, exactly. Um, This episode's mostly about Dr. Orpheus, I think. Who's but... not a terrible character. No, no, I like him. Yeah. I um, can take him or leave him. Yeah. Actually, no, that's a lie. I like Orpheus. I don't like his gang. You don't like the Order of the Triad? No. I know that's just him trying to organise his own, like, heroes and villains thing, and he's just got, like, the most B-grade fucking people with him. Yeah. Because it's the only people who respect Dr. Orpheus. Um, in this episode, he has a shrinking competition with Dr. Venture, mm-hmm. who's, like, escaped the pyramid at the start, and he's like, I'm going to quickly go get... Like, help. I'm going to go get some stuff from the lab and come back and save the day. Yeah. But they immediately start shit-talking each other's methods. Like, we discussed their, um, you know, the magic versus science stuff. Yeah. They just start hassling each other, so they have a shrinking contest. Well, while, while, while everyone do. else is still in the fucking pyramid, they just forget and he's, you know. Um, yeah, I love Well, see, that- that's the thing. Doc's only intrigued by the thing that's in front of him. And he gets, you know, he's a little competitive about shit because he's also an arrogant jerk. I love that Venture's such a skeptic. Like, despite us seeing in the episode before this, they have an annual haunting because of the Venture compounds on an ancient Indian burial ground. Yeah. And he still thinks magic's dumb. Well, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's like if Snape didn't believe in magic and was surrounded by it every fucking day. He's like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. It's dumb. Now, this episode is fun, easy hijinks, sure, that's what it is. There's plenty of jokes about Edgar Allan Poe, and somehow they're well-researched, but they all end up being about how he had a big head. Yeah. Yeah, which is just, like, a, a, such a shallow payoff. It's great. Um, yeah, but, but you know it's something that, like, came up in the office? Yeah. Like, they were probably sitting there going through stuff, and they're like, hey, do you hear this one? Well, they're yeah, both, they're both fans of his old work, and they... They know it, but they're like, ah, he's a big head. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, but it also makes an important move. 
in, in this episode. It's not just all goofy, stupid shit. It By showing off the rusty Venture lunchbox. Mm. Alright. So this piece of merch that actually exists in our reality too, um, it shows that not only is the Doc a piece of this old Johnny Quest style of life, but it's also a show in canon with merchandise and you know reruns and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like if Dukes of Hazard was completely factual. Yeah. It's weird, but it fits really well. Like, it helps the meta bullshittery of the show. As if Summer Bay was filming in Summer Bay. Isn't it? No. The street's real. No. Ramsey Street's real. Ramsey Street is not called Ramsey Street, and there's just normal people that live there. Nah, I don't care about Australia. Also, Ramsey Street is Neighbours, not Summer Bay. Well, obviously, it's not like. Byron Bay. It's filmed not with it's bit. filmed with actors. They're not cartoons. I'm not watching. But that's what I'm saying. They don't film Ramsey Street in Ramsey Street because yeah. Ramsey Street isn't real. Yeah, it's weird. It's not. It's Television's a weird. TV show. Yeah, that's weird. Okay. Everything should be like Big Brother or Swamp People and nothing else. You don't even like those shows. No, they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Sorry guys, this is like the third episode we're recording today. Yeah. Um, we're up to 20 Years to Midnight, which is a flashy name for an episode. Um, I won't spend too long here though. It's a scavenger hunt that, you know, it updates us a lot on the world building, but it, it's just a scavenger hunt episode. Uh, we see Jonas Jr. again now. Yeah, he's back. Uh, yep, and we see he's got Pirate Captain for a right-hand man. Yeah. Remember Pirate Captain from the... Ghost Pirate episode in season one. Mm-hmm. So he was like sleeping in the venture boat as, you know, like a vagrant. Yeah, because he had nowhere else to put. Yeah, and Jonas Jr. took the boat when he went to Spider Skull. Yeah. So he just pretty much hired the captain. Well, he's there anyway. And I like that as his character advances and becomes like a Steve Jobs parody as the show runs on, he's still pirate captain. Yeah. Like he never got a name or nothing. No. That's... And he still talks like a pirate. He has the sideburns and the eye patch, Look, But he's also he's... wearing the Steve Jobs turtleneck and he's got a, it's a persona, weird mix. He's got a stick to it. It's such a weird fucking bend for no reason. Um, yeah, and I also like that Jonas Jr. is so fucking successful. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't blame the obstacles in his life for his shortcomings like like his <laughs> oh, brother does. Shortcomings. Yeah. But, it, but he meets and beats every challenge he gets. Um, even the hover belt that he wears to get him to everyone else's height. Yeah. You know, Jonas is putting venture in- industries on the map while Doc is fucking around with shrink ray contests and defending the style and comfort of his speed suits. But that's... A tangent here, I will mention, that this episode predicted um, all the jokes about girls and rompers taking... Peas and shits. Yeah. Because it does show him completely naked with his entire speed suit, like, at his ankles. Yeah. Which is the thing that's actually a thing now. Yeah. Um, the only thing I was going to say is... Now that I've completely forgotten that. Talking about speed suits and how Jonas Jr. is on a hover belt. Oh, um, I was going to say the fact that, like, they highlight how good... Jonas Jr. is. He's everything Jonas Sr. would have wanted Rusty to be. Yeah, but in episode one, they talk about the fact that he's like, well, I'm Dr. Venture. Yeah, while well, like, you... Well, actually, while you're away, I did two accreditations and now I've got a doctorate myself. Yeah. Like, and he's like, but I've only been gone for a year. And he's like... Yeah, yeah I don't care. Like... Yeah, he's... How, the... how hard is it to be, get a doctorate? Yeah. Um... Another group we'd check up on in this episode mm-hmm. is the Impossible Family, Susan. our Fantastic Four group. <laughs> and the depth of that parody continues, like, so hard. Like, this is what I was talking about, about weird deep cut references. Yeah. This is before the comic book trend, all the Marvel movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they've managed to do the Fantastic Four's son. I mean, Franklin in the comics, but he's named Rocket here. Mm-hmm. And you've also got the Herbie knockoff, too. Yeah. Kaya, do you know of the Herbie? Um, isn't it the, like, not Human Torch, Human Torch? You're thinking of the Android Human Torch? Sure. No, no, he is just a robot. Oh. So, he replaced the Human Torch as the fourth Fantastic Four member in the shitty animated series. Because either Human Torch was being saved for a movie that didn't happen and there's no proof of. Weird theory that Marvel has put out. Or... 
that Johnny Storm would inspire children watching to set themselves on fire. Yay! Um, Herbie was voiced by Frank Welker, who have been noticing pop up in a lot of our episodes. Morph, Goddard, in Jimmy Neutron. He's the dude wow. who voices oh. all the animals in all the things. Oh, okay. That guy. Yeah. Um, and another thing about this episode, that it feels dated. It feels very early 2000s, like Doctor Impossible's throwing around the R word, you know, the, you know, the differently abled type of term. Mm-hmm. And there's like old iPod ads in the subway. Remember the ones that are like a hard color and a black silhouette listening to their iPod? I like, do remember Like some those. of those references. It's, I'm like, oof, that's What you're old. saying is it's dated. Oh, it feels old. She, she hasn't learned. I mean, yeah. Um, okay, so there's, there's two more points I want to touch on for this episode. Mm-hmm. Number one is Action Johnny. Right. Or Johnny Quests, as you will. Right. For legal reasons, Action Johnny. Which I love. They killed off his bodyguard in an earlier episode, but now it's not quite as a parody. They had to change it. Yeah. Um, I love Action Johnny in this. He's so great. And he's very clearly Johnny Quest. Um, he's, he's much like Doc Venture. He peaked as a kid, and he's very traumatized from his past, and he's been left a weird shell from drug abuse. Um, luckily for Doc Venture, he had science and money to fall back on, whereas Johnny did not. No, not, no, sir. Yeah, I suppose that's true. He's, he's pretty... He's a strung-out little junkie okay. man. No, he's very traumatized and upset. And I, I appreciate that Johnny Quest exists in this show. Yeah. Because it, it's all, like... It's all tropes, but it also acknowledges that as well. But it makes it... Even weirder, because, like, Doc Venture is supposed to be, like, a parody of Johnny Quest. Mm. But then they've got a parody of Johnny Quest in Who a is show Johnny that Quest. is a parody about Johnny Quest. Like, But it's like, it just makes it, it just treats it like that's just the cinematic universe we're playing with, legally or illegally. Yeah. You know? Like, the opposite I hate, so I'm glad that, I like it in this. Yeah. Like, the opposite is when... They do a serious take on a zombie movie and refuse to call them zombies. Yeah. Like you're like you're telling me your super realistic universe has never had a single voodoo zombie reference in it, or and George Romero just didn't exist in your timeline for some reason. Yeah. What the fuck is that? Yeah. It's weirder to not acknowledge it. I suppose. They, I can, I they can definitely like go that. above and beyond in that sense. And his storyboards are done by a Pixar guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like. Because my stuff's good. <laughs> Yeah. Take that. I, just, I love how fucked up Johnny is in this. I'm like, oh, you poor bastard. However, it is <laughs> what you would think is pretty accurate. In this sense of like, yeah, these people are going through so much shit as children and clearly peaking as human beings at like 10. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's it plays into that pretty hard. Yeah. All right, the second point I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Possible spoilers, I mean definite spoilers, for later episodes of Venture Bros. But... It's revealed that Impossible Tower is the old Venture Industries Tower. Mm-hmm. Kaya, do you think that Cough Cough is still in the lobby during this episode? Yes. Because yeah. I wouldn't put it past um, Richard Impossible to abuse the fact that Cough Cough is in the lobby. But I don't think he would know. He would either know or not care. No, I don't reckon. I just, I, I'm assuming he is like the Fantastic Four Reed Richards that I know, which is... Kind of one of the most evil scumbags in Marvel because you can't keep having him do scandals every fucking yeah, month. But, yeah, but see, we know we know that about him mm. because of how he uses Human Torch. <laughs> yeah, that's cough. not the cough cough I'm cough, talking cough. about here. The um, other cough cough in the wait, fucking wait, movie. Wait. <laughs> Damn, now I've got to keep my references straight. I don't know. Wait However, till wait till we get to clench clench. However, I don't think that he realises that cough cough is cough cough. I think he thinks that cough cough is nudge nudge. Mm. Anyone who's watched the series knows what we're talking about. Anyone who doesn't hates us right now and is stopped listening. If you want to know what who is bye cough bye. nudge, watch the show. I mean, yeah, we, recommend, we recommended it pretty hard last time. I think we get the gist of it. But yeah, I, I was thinking about that while I was watching it. I was like, oh, cough cough might be in there, man. That's cool. It would be. It has to be. Who's taking it out? Yeah, exactly. And who's putting it back in later? And then you have to unplug it. And then probably... Do stuff. Yeah. And it's implied that in episode two, 
is when cough cough is like awoken or switched on or however you want to call it mm. now I'm interesting I'm, thoughts I'm going that cough cough is in the lobby mm-hmm. wink wink is in the basement who's wink wink human torch okay yeah I mean he's up in a higher story but yeah and, right. and you know nudge nudge is what everyone thinks is what everyone thinks it is okay cool yeah. well well we've completely fucked up this conversation so let's jump into the next episode booyah uh, I Vic- love ruining stuff I mean how else can we say it really like you see my problem <laughs> alright so we're up to Victor Echo November which stands for V-E-N, so I don't know what that is. Um, this is a double-double date yeah. episode trope. Um, we have the monarch and a random floozy he's picked up for the sake of jealousy reasons. He is with Phantom Limb and Dr. Girlfriend. Yeah. They are together to organise Monarch's Guild of Calamitous Intent re-entry after his time in prison. Yay! That's good. I mean, obviously all the guild stuff later on I'm, like, I'm always excited to see slow builds of guild references in this mm-hmm. um and we have hank and dean on a date with triana and kim yeah kim really just wipes off the map oh we're gonna talk about it um and that's like the main plot of the episode is the double date stuff mm-hmm. um you've got doc who has sent the boys away with orpheus's kid and friend so he could watch the best little whorehouse in texas thinking it's a dolly parton porno Mm. What kind of weird deep cut shit is that? That obviously happened to Doc or Jackson in the real life because that's that's a mistake someone made and is joking about it now, right? That's a very specific thing. Why is Dolly Parton referenced in Venture Bros? Unless someone was like, "I'm about to watch this film." Yeah, and, I'm and sure one of them. Else, def- and everyone else is like, "Is that like a?" I mean, that's the thing Brock does. Is like, that's not what that is. All right, whatever. Yeah. That's, that's a conversation that's happened. Yeah, it feels too real, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a weird tangent. It's not even a tangent, it's a weird flashback while I was doing my notes. My grandma told me that once um, Dolly Parton had her lungs expanded so she could sing better, and that's why her tits were that big. Childhood's crazy, man. <laughs> I think your grandma lied to you. Shouldn't have been showing me Dolly Parton as a kid. She's just coming up with reasons for why the lady's tits are too big. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. No, no, that 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 country thing is fucking cool. She's like, those their lungs in there, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, Anyway. This this explains a lot of things that I'm going through right now. Cool. So, doctor girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Is, isn't nearly as happy being with Phantom Limb as she was with the Monarch. Yeah. Yep, like, she doesn't like... She doesn't like how what a boring shit he is. But in this episode, I appreciate the lengths it goes to. Alright, so Kaya. Yes. Those paintings he's selling for guild funds, mm-hmm. they are all real paintings stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in 1990. Nice. Now, that actually happened. Uh, they were never found Mm-mm. and it's that's the weird knowledge that feeds this show man like it's so great for that it, it does do pretty well with like we have a random fact how can we use it yeah right. will it come, come in handy an entire episode about this it's just a sly reference that in this canon those paintings were stolen by phantom limb yeah and sold to a greasy Italian man. Oh no, he died. Um, sold to someone else later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we also see a few options for Phantom Limb's origin in this episode too. They're, they're all different and they're all hearsay, but they all feature Billy Quizboy. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that they that one of the theories mentioned his robot hand. Because mm-hmm. him flicking the switch that turned all of the other guy's limbs invisible turned his hand invisible as well. Mm-hmm. Which was a fun beat joke. But it also gets solved later on, and that's not what happened. Yeah. But I liked that little Easter egg of like, oh, that's why he's got a robot hand. Especially because after the end credits, someone asks him, what's the go with his robot hand? And he's like, you know, I don't know. Um, dun, dun, dun. But then clearly in other episodes, he obviously knows he didn't want to... He's, he's just like sidelining the question a bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, uh, like the Boston Museum heist reference, there's lots of little good bits in this episode, like a lot packed into it. Um, we see a big old sensor bar over Brock's naked, blood-covered body. Yay! A fun fact there is they animate the dick and balls every time, but they usually think the sensor bars and the swear bleeps are funnier for some reason, so they have them put back in. I mean, agree, but... The implied nudity must is just kind of funnier than nudity sometimes. Yeah. So they so just... Every character in canon either has a foreskin or doesn't. And sometimes they reference it in dialogue. Sometimes. But then they put a bar over it anyway, because they're like, yeah, it's kind of funny anyway. <laughs> Alright, so we've got... Really it works, because you're just over there giggling to yourself at the thought of it. it so, it's, it's, they're on to something. I mean, it's kind of dumb and now knowing that they don't just blur it out. Like, they don't just put a block over their storyboard art. It's like, oh, they went to the effort and then changed it at the last minute. Yeah. So stupid. Um, so we got the bathroom scene with the girls, which is another good little moment. Um, it starts with Sheila, or Dr. Girlfriend. It's it's hard to say, because she's kind of like Lady Ophelia? Or Dr. Ophelia? Ophelia. So she's, called, she's like between characters at the moment. It's, it's hard to... Everyone just knows who she is. She's Dr. Girlfriend, but, you know, sometimes. Um, and she's... She's in the bathroom with the other girls, and she asks, she's like, yes, I'm in the right bathroom, I just have a deep voice. Mm-hmm. And she says it in a way that implies that she has to say that a lot in bathrooms. Yeah. Um, and she gives Kim a card. This cyber goth in latex gets mistaken for a supervillain. And this is worth mentioning as a warning to fans of ongoing shows and series and movie franchises and everything. Kim was a bit of a light setup for later at first, possibly getting used as an arch for the boys themselves instead of their father later on. Mm-hmm. But people asked the show's creators about it a lot, a fucking lot. Mm. Um, everything else in the show follows, gets followed up on and becomes important later. But people kept hounding about the cybergoth chick. You know, like she's. I guess it's it's partly because like she's drawn hot. She's kind of another cool gothy character, they're, they're like Triana was. The setup is, and yeah. frankly, there's only like two or three women in the entire fucking show. Yeah. So you know, people are interested in what happens with that. Yeah. So, so <laughs> the, the creators get more and more annoyed until the end of season four. When it's mentioned she is in a Florida rehab and very Christian now. Sounds a lot like <laughs> Betty Page. Yeah, so... Well, she never went to rehab. She was a good girl. But the yeah, christian she, part, yeah. Yeah, but she moved to Florida and became a Christian. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she got retconned out of mattering so hard. So hard they made her religious. Like, mm. Mm. So as pop culture fanatics, we as a community got to be careful of bothering the wrong creators with our bullshit. I could have told you that. Kaya, we aren't allowed to annoy Richard Cadre until the Slim verse is done, okay? I don't annoy him. I just say thank you a lot. I, we, we better be careful what we say. Okay. <laughs> I haven't mentioned candy in any of my messages, though I want to. Kim is a martyr and a warning to the rest of us with our fan theories and our bullshit. Good. We need warnings. Big billboard warnings. Big warning labels. Don't read it about our show. Okay. Alright, so the final episode for this week, okay. obviously a two-parter, um, is Love Bites. And I know the creators aren't proud of this one. It has the R word a lot. Um, the plot has a lot of homophobia stuff to it. Um, but it's not all bad, you know? Like, even the worst episodes of a show like this still have a lot of good points to it regardless. And it's... Look, the thing that you need to remember with Early 2000s Just about stuff. everything. Mm. We now know better. Yeah. I mean, the entire Fast and Furious franchise is built on a movie that calls a dude the hard F word for eating a tuna sandwich. Yeah. Yep. So next time you see The Rock punching Vin Diesel in space or whatever the fuck the next movie is, I want you to remember that tuna fish sandwich that started it all. Yeah, they were They were that, chasing VHS DVD combo machines. But then it wasn't a bad... Well... It was still a bad thing, but people didn't It sucked, but realize. it was more casual. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I'm not 
condoning anything that's happened, but we need to understand as a society that we are constantly learning and evolving. And just because we know something is super wrong now doesn't mean that if we did or said something a hundred years ago that we, you know, should be held for that. Ignoring history deems it to repeat. Yes. Um, for all those listening, Kaya is very bothered by um, a lot of Disney animation getting, like, removed from history. No, no. It's not just Disney. You like the Warner Brothers warning. I do like... I think Warner Brothers has handled the majority of the situation well. Hmm. The thing that annoys me is that we have this amazing art and music and things created and it annoys me that we cover it. It's not and it's not just pop culture and stuff, it's also museums. The majority of art galleries, 90% is male, 95% of that is white male. Like it's not okay, but in saying that there is a reason that the Renaissance masters are Renaissance masters. Their work is amazing. So why are we covering that? Because we know that it's not good now. Yeah. I just get annoyed by certain things. And it's a good option. And it's a good option. And it's a good like teachable moment for like younger people seeing that stuff, and they're like, "Check out this," and you'll be like, "Listen here, that thing there that you're seeing, like that, that you you don't do that." And that's the thing. That's why I like the Warner Brothers. I've and I've spoken about it on the podcast before. Mm. The Warner Brothers warning literally does that, where it says, this is not something that we condone now. However, it's still a piece we of don't history. want to lose something that was, you know, okay when it was created, because we know better now. Hmm. We know better now because we are smarter, and we listen, and we, you know, take heed. Yeah. Sorry. Back, back to where we were. Well... I mean, that's a lot of the episode here. Is the the plot is that Baron Underbite takes the family hostage and tries to marry Dean, yeah. who is wearing oh he's been mistaken for a woman mainly because he's wearing the slave Leia costume. Look, the the, the, the fine. A lot of the early episodes are the characters coming home from big exciting adventures, and we're just watching like them live their lives in between all the good shit. I mean, but so they've gone to like a group costume contest somewhere Mm-mm. and everyone's in their Star Wars costume but you know Doc has a bit of a problem with Hank who will always regardless of theme dresses Batman yeah isn't Hank the, but and that's the thing they all wear costumes whenever they get a chance because I'm pretty sure that Hank's pajamas are just Aquaman yeah his Aquaman jammies yeah they wear like old timey underoos. It's kind of fun, um, but he always dresses as Batman. Yeah. Like we've seen him fall back on that weird thing many a time. We do, and it's birthed from this episode. Yeah. I mean, we see him do the death in the costume. Mm-hmm. But this is when Doc's like, "For fuck's sake, you are always Batman. We're trying to be Star Wars. You're Batman. We try to do one of the other examples. You're Batman anyway. You know, like all that." <laughs> um. Another part that's good is um, we got the Batman stuff. We got Baron Underbite himself becoming a poor vagrant in this episode. Oh yeah. Which you know, which becomes important later when the Revenge Society happens. Because remember, he's just miraculously like a bum in New York City. Yeah. It's him being exiled from his country, which I think is next to Michigan. Yeah. Or something, some something other M like state. That. Some other... It's, apparently it's in America, which is great. Um, and I liked seeing the Manic 8-Ball again, too. Mm-hmm. It's such a dumb character. It's such a dumb joke, but the visual's cool, so I'm fine with it. Yeah. He's just wearing a full black shiny suit. He's got the eye slits like a Bruce Tim character. He's got an 8 over his mouthpiece, and then his chest is like a... You know, the thing in the 8-Ball. No, it's just like a thing with water in it, and he jiggles. I know, but he, it's... He bounces his titties. And then, like, an answer pop-up. Like, it's the stupidest character, but it looks cool. You know? It was clearly one of those characters that they designed before they were like, oh, I don't know, this is stupid. <laughs> yeah, he's just a weird, like, fan favourite of mine. 
I'm glad he's not dead. He's like being tortured in the episode, but he's okay. Yeah, he's fine. You know, he'll, he'll come back. And lots of people like the lump scene, which is from this episode. When Brock is interrogating the henchman by twisting his balls, he finds a lump. Hmm. And it gets awkward and sad so fucking fast. It's amazing. It's so fucking weird. I love bits like that in the show where it's like, here's a stupid cartoony adventure, maybe a little more M-rated than standard, but here, here it is. And then it's like, oh, shocking realism <laughs> because life is horrible. I want you to remember that. Yeah. You know? And that, I think that's a good lesson for this episode to end on is even the worst moments in our lives or the ventures lives still have a lot of like good moments in there so you got to keep on going or something keep on keeping on yeah you think that's a good message i think that, i think that's an okay display to stop uh-huh um yeah obviously it's time to put a pin in it we're like halfway through the season here um So check in with us next week to hear us talk of such things as an evil Mary Poppins and the Sovereign's first appearance and the saddest rendition of Scooby-Doo ever made. An easy way to find that episode is to subscribe now. And while you're at it, rate and review The School for Wayward Notes, which is us. Um, You know, all of that stuff. Thanks for listening. Um, I've been Toby. I've been joined by Kyle. I am Kyle. Go Team Venture. Oh. Class dismissed. Um, Happy days. Yeah, remember to wash your dick. And on that note, good night.